well, why did God create us? It's a grand and glorious question, and it touches on the biggest issues of our lives that we can really ever ask about. It's also today's question from an APJ listener named Natalie. She writes in, Pastor John, thank you so much for this podcast. I listen to every episode. I am a thinker, an overthinker, probably. And of late, my mind has been dwelling on the sufficiency of God himself, that he needs no one or nothing that he creates. I affirm Acts 17, 25 and Psalm 50, verses 7 to 15. But the question I cannot answer is this, Pastor John, why did God create us? This question is very important, both because of very high-level theological and philosophical reasons, and because when the alarm goes off (laughs) this morning (laughs) at five or six or seven, how you answer this question makes all the difference for why you get out of bed. So at the theological and philosophical level, the question is important because the way you answer it has a huge impact on the way you understand the nature of God himself. That is, what does it mean to be God? The technical name here that people debate is God's aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y. The word aseity built on the Latin words a or a, which means from, and se, which means self. So, from himself, God's aseity is his existence from himself. That is, he exists without influence or input or resources or forces or anything from outside himself. Or the shorthand way to say aseity in common English would be God's self-sufficiency. This is important because the biblical picture of God is that he is complete and sufficient and flawless and without any defect or deficiency in and of himself. That means before there was any creation and apart from any creation and independent of any creation, God was completely and flawlessly God. Think, for example, of the Bible passage Exodus 3.14, where Moses asks God what he should say to the people of Israel when they ask him, who sent you? And uh, God says to Moses, quote, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In other words, my very name, Yahweh, which is built on the verb I am, occurs 600 times plus Mm. in the Bible. That very name, every time you read the name, usually translated capital L-O-R-D in the English versions, that very name bears witness to the absolute existence of God in and of himself. I am. That's my name. I am. I depend on nothing, nobody, to be who I am. I am absolute reality. I had no beginning. I will have no ending. And in relation to creation, I am not becoming what I am. 
Lots of people called process theologians think that God is becoming God. He's getting better all the time. He's growing into what it means to be God by creating the world and interacting with the world. He gets better. That's not the way the Bible speaks. That's not the way I think. I don't think that's the way we should think about God. We cannot improve upon God. He cannot improve. He says, I am, I always have been fully, perfectly, flawlessly God before and apart from all creation. That's what the doctrine of aseity, or God's self-sufficiency, affirms and protects. And I think that's a biblical reality, that, that we should believe it and stress it. And I think the biblical reality and teaching of the Trinity, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is essential to that doctrine of God's self-sufficiency, because what the Trinity implies in the relationships between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is that God is love and has always been love. The Bible says God is love. He's always been love. Before there was a world to love, God was love. The divine Son is and always has been in the fellowship of the Trinity, God's image and God's delight. He's called both of those in the Bible. Jesus, before he was the incarnate Jesus Christ, was the Son of God, and in the fellowship of the everlasting, eternal Trinity, he was the perfect image of God, and he was the delight of God. God did not have to create the world in order to have full, satisfying joy in the fellowship of the Trinity. So the doctrine of aseity, or God's self-sufficiency, not only protects the self-sufficiency and absoluteness of God's godness from any suggestion that creation is essential to his being, Mm -hmm. that's the danger, thinking that that creation is part of his being and his being perfect, but aseity also protects God's nature as a trinity of fully satisfied persons delighting in each other eternally apart from creation. All of that implies a negative. God did not create the world out of any deficiency or defect. Creation did not make God more God, or improve upon his perfections. So, we ask, is there any way to answer the question, why did he create the universe? Have we described God's essential being and his Trinitarian fullness and his happiness in such a way as to virtually rule out any motive for creating the world, any motive that would not compromise his self-sufficiency. I think it would be a great dishonor to God if we said that the creation of the universe were merely random or whimsical, with no purpose, no motive, no wise and purposeful design or motive at all, lest that purpose or motive be somehow construed as God's finally, finally, he can be happy. He's got a creation to love or something like that. Namely, through creation, he completes himself. That would be a great dishonor to God to say that he couldn't create 
with a motive and with wisdom and design without jeopardizing his godness. So that answer to the why he created the world, I think, would be called a heresy. Like it was just whimsical, it had no meaning, had no design in it, no motive behind it, no wisdom. That's why the doctrine of God's aseity is important, to protect us against that heresy. So how then do we answer the question, why God created? And I go to a passage like, and there are more, many more, Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, remembering, by the way, that every promise of the Old Testament is yes in Christ for us Christians and all who believe in Christ. Those Old Testament promises are true. Mm -hmm. And it says, Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, created for my glory. Now, on the basis of that text, and many like it, I see that pervading the entire Bible is the teaching that God does everything to communicate and display to his creatures his own glory, his greatness, his beauty, his worth, the whole panorama of his perfections. He communicates that, displays that to his creatures as the overflow of his love. And I add very quickly this the reason that the communication and display of God's glory is the overflow of his love is because that glory both rejoices the human heart supremely and reflects the greatness of God supremely. Or to say it with my favorite words, which you know, Tony, and we love together, (laughs) God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God's eternal love in the fellowship of the Trinity was a perfectly God-satisfying, God-glorifying joy. Before there was any creation, God's fullness was on display for God among the persons of the Trinity. And God's fullness was the undiminished delight of the persons of the Trinity. And this is what he communicated in creation to us, to his people. He gave to all who would have it, all who would receive it as their treasure. He gave us a share in the God-displaying, God-glorifying delight that God has in God. And if you press even harder on me and say, but why? Why did he do this if he was so full and happy without creation? I would say it's the nature of the fullness of the divine love to share itself. That's just what love is like in God. And this sharing is not the completion of God or the improvement of God. Jonathan Edwards, I think, said it most memorably when he said, It is no sign of a fountain's deficiency 
that it is prone to overflow. When the alarm goes off now, at 5 or 6 or 7 tomorrow morning, you can know, this is glorious, individually, personally, existentially, so relevant, you can know the purpose for which God made you and why you should get out of bed. We exist to see and savor and show the beauty and worth and greatness of God in every sphere of our lives. Paul said, whether you eat or drink, in other words, the most nitty-gritty things, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31. We exist to bring our lives into alignment with the purpose of God in creation, namely, His purpose to communicate His glory in the overflow of His God-exalting, soul-satisfying love. And what that alignment looks like is this, our magnifying God's glory by finding Him to be the most satisfying reality in the universe. Amen. This episode really seems to lead right into your new book, Providence, uh, where you talk about the design of God for His creation and for us. Absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. Great question, Natalie. Thank you for sending it in to us. And speaking of the meaning of life, there's still quite a lot to say about this, especially as it relates to God's providence directly, his design for us. And we're going to actually return on Wednesday to look at how God's governance over all things means that everything in life, everything, is made meaningful by God's design. It is such a huge topic, very fitting uh, as a follow-up to what we talked about today. That's coming up next time on Wednesday when we return. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. We will see you then. Thanks for listening.